0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Happy New Year. Today is the first Sunday of the church year, and also the first uh, first Sunday in Advent. The last couple weeks, the end of the church year, carried a theme of the eschaton, which is the end times, the return of Christ, when Jesus will return in great power and majesty, to judge all people, and to establish the eternal kingdom. When he returns, all the world will know that it is Jesus Christ. But today, on this first Sunday in Advent, we focus on Jesus, the humble servant king. Our gospel lesson from Matthew 21 recounts the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, or Sunday of the Passion, whatever you prefer to call it. Shouldn't this be our text on Palm Sunday? Were you we all thinking that? Like, shouldn't we be doing this, like, on Palm Sunday just before Easter? Uh, we do. We do have it then also. But we, uh, we have it in our lectionary on the Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent for a reason. And I think it'll come clear as we go on. Um. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves and get into Easter right now. In the season of Advent, we are looking forward to the incarnation, the birth of our Savior. And we do this following the liturgical calendar. We do this following the seasons and so forth. We do it all to help us remember who Jesus Christ is and to see him more clearly. So looking at the text, the Apostle Apostle Matthew tells us that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem in a humble way on a colt. John's gospel tells us that they didn't understand the significance of him riding on the colt at that time, but that they later understood it, later being after the resurrection. So what is the significance of him riding on a colt? Some people have said that, oh, it was a sign of royalty. A king would ride on a colt. This would be a kingly way to enter into, uh, into the city. I don't, I'm not personally convinced of that. But whether that is true or not, the point here is that, and, and the apostle uses the word humble. He is coming in Humility. The word of scripture is clear. Your king is coming to you humble. Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem in humility. Yes, he is the king of kings. Yet he did not stride into town on some decorated warhorse, like he owned the place, though he did. Like he was all powerful, though he is. He didn't come in with a Big, elaborate entourage. Long train of people coming in behind him. Resplendent with all of the drippings. All of the... Uh, what's the word that you use for that? Like jewelry. That's like lots of jewelry. Bling. Yeah, bling. There's another one, though. What is, it? what is the other one? Dripping? Drip, yes. I'm learning new new... Terms from uh, terms from the young people. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have all of this, you know, all of this uh, drip hanging from all of this big long train of, of war horses and and you know a big uh, train like we saw for the queen's funer- funeral. No, it was not like that. He came in humble, riding on a colt, a beast of burden is the expression used. And his entry into the town was relatively simple and spontaneous. Many people were throwing their cloaks or spreading their cloaks on the, on the road so that he could walk across the, the cloaks. Others were taking branches and breaking branches off of trees and throwing the branches down so that he could walk on those as he came in. So he is king, yet he is a peculiar king. Because the kings of this world have subjects who serve them. Yet this king, Jesus Christ, came into Jerusalem to serve the people, not to be served. The kings of this world receive gifts, taxes, contributions, whatever. Whatever they demand, they receive from their subjects. Yet this king, Jesus Christ, came into Jerusalem to give them all that he has. In humility, he came into Jerusalem to die for your sins. This is a truly peculiar king. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowds said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Listen to their answer. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Did they understand who he was? Of course, he's a prophet, and he's so much more. But did they understand that? To some, he was a good teacher. He had come to reinforce the law of Moses, to show what it means to love your neighbor, to remind the people of Israel of their covenant with God. Good teacher, they would say. To some, he was a miracle worker. I mean, he healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. He made the deaf to hear, the blind to see. He even raised the dead. To some, he was a bread king. Oh yeah, look at that. He can turn a couple loaves of bread into a food for a, an army. He fed the thousands and he was their bread king. But I want to go back to Caesarea Philippi where Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, where Peter made a great confession. Jesus asked the disciples who they say that he is and Peter is the one who confessed you are the Christ the Son of the living God. Now as you'll recall Jesus said to Peter that he was blessed with that revelation, that it was not his own ability to produce such knowledge, that it didn't come from flesh and blood but that it had been revealed by God his Father in heaven. This Knowledge of who Jesus Christ truly was, that that was a gift from God in heaven. Jesus also said that this confession, this confession that Jesus is the Christ, is the rock upon which the church would be built. It's not Peter that's the rock that the church is built on. It's the confession of Christ. That is the rock upon which the church is built. And Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nevertheless, as you will recall, when Jesus explained, saying he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised, Peter took him aside and, imagine the audacity. Peter actually pulled him aside and rebuked him for saying this. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. No, Jesus, this shall never happen to you. That was what Peter said when Jesus said that he would go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Peter's response was, no, don't let that happen. He made the confession. He, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then he said, no, no, you can't go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And see, in response to that, Jesus then said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The confession that Jesus is the Christ that Peter made. That's right on, absolutely. But to confess that Jesus is the Christ also means to confess that Jesus is the suffering servant, that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Christ. And that's what it means to confess that Jesus is the Christ. If the people of Jerusalem want Jesus to be merely a prophet, As they answered, he is Jesus, the prophet. Oh, well, if you want him to be merely a prophet, they'll have him merely as a prophet. After all, Jesus warned them of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He sounded the alarm bells well in advance. They could have listened and turned to God. But if they will only consider him a prophet, then they'll receive him only as a prophet. And they'll perish for lack of a savior. All the prophets pointed the people to God's word and ultimately pointed the people to Christ, the Messiah, who would take away their sins. But Jesus is more than a prophet. Wake up, people. That's what what he's saying. Wake up, people. The Messiah has come. But he comes humbly, riding on a colt. He comes to die for your sin and for the sin of the whole world. If you will only have him as a prophet or a good teacher, then you're dead in your sin. You must receive the Messiah as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the significance of Jesus' humble entry into Jerusalem. He is your king. Absolutely, but dispel the earthly notions of what a king is. Jesus is the true king, the one who has come not to receive from you, not to take from you, but to give himself for you. Our Old Testament lesson I want to take a quick look back at because I think it makes more sense when you see the connection with the gospel lesson. Isaiah said it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. This is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. It is that event that has established the highest mountain to which the nations flow. All people are called to look up and to see Jesus Christ, their king, who has taken all of their sins upon himself. Our king came humbly. He came to give himself for you. He came to redeem you from your sin. And he has accomplished all of this. In the season of Advent that we are now in, do not be overcome by the world's premature celebration of Christmas. This is the time of Christmas, but this is the season of Advent. Advent comes first, and Advent is a penitential season. Uh, By the way, that's why we omit, and you see in the hymnal, the, the hymn of praise is omitted during Advent, because it's a penitential season. It's a season, Advent is a season in which we reflect on the incarnation. That is, on God taking upon himself human flesh and weakness. That's our God, a God who comes near to us. Not a far distant God, but a God who comes near to us to serve us in the most humbling of ways even by taking upon himself your sin. He didn't die for his sin. He doesn't have sin. He died for your sin. And he did it because he loves you, because God loves you. That's all he could do. That's what we remember is in this incarnation that God himself took upon himself, human flesh. And that's what this, Time, This season of Advent is is reflecting on that. A season to remember that God, your Father, in his steadfast love for you, sent Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, who took upon himself human flesh in order that he might live the perfect life that you and I cannot live. That he might suffer and die to make atonement for your sins. And then that he might give you his righteousness so that you will now stand before God with confidence that in Christ you are perfect and righteous. It is a blessed exchange that we receive. That we receive his righteousness. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll be lost. Or think about the end of the Beatitudes. Jesus saying, therefore be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus, I can't do that. How could I possibly do that? I'm tainted with sin. And Jesus says, yeah, that's why I'm coming humbly to live the perfect life that you can't live and to take your sins upon the cross, to die for your sins. Now you have received my righteousness. By faith, Jesus gives you His righteousness. He is more than a prophet. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus, the prophet. Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king, the savior, the redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us. He is all of those things. Receive your king. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.